0: Here in the great old US of A, where coronavirus cases continue to set new records on almost a daily basis. Not exactly a daily basis, but almost a daily basis. And just, uh, the world seems to be collapsing around us. But, despite all the uncertainty, we are here for you every week, every Saturday, the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name, of course, is Alex Reamer. We are proud, as always, to be affiliated with the Outsports Podcast Network. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find your OutSports shows, that's where we are. Uh, have a different episode for you today, a landmark episode, if you will. It is our, our first ever guest from international land. We welcome in John Holmes. There are lots of ways I could have phrased that, (laughs) I don't know why I said from international land. Our first overseas guest, I could say as well, we bring in John Holmes from across the pond, across the Atlantic, from the UK. He's the senior editor and writer for Sky Sports over there. He's also the founder of the sports media LGBT plus group, which uh, I've been a part of and a follower of uh, for a few years now. It's a great group that as you would suspect, connects LGBT plus people in sports media with each other from around the world, and why am I having John on the show this week? Why are we going across the Atlantic? Well, I wanted to show that we have the technology to have an international guest, that's number one, but also uh, a very interesting and uh, I think pretty disheartening trend Uh, It continues to go on in the tabloids in the United Kingdom. Uh, This past week in a letter to The Sun, one of the many tabloids they have over there in Rupert Murdoch country, uh, an anonymous Premier League player says he's gay, but he can't go public. He's fearful. He feels trapped is a word he used. There's rampant homophobia in British football culture and the Premier League culture, and he just can't come out, and on its face, you say, wow, this is a pretty troubling revelation, but... This is a trend for these British tabloids, and Sid Ziegler wrote an excellent column on Outsports This Week spelling this all out. Uh, For the last half decade or so, these British tabloids have just published numerous stories like these from these anonymous gay Premier League players who are apparently so afraid to come out due to the uh, homophobic culture around football in the United Kingdom Uh, in 2015. And this is all in Sid's column. Uh, we were told two Premier League players were going to come out together. They, of course, did not. The following year, in 2016, it was up to two, three players were going to come out together. They, of course, did not. Also, in 2016, we had a claim of seven gay Premier League players out there. Of course, that was never proved, could not be proved. Uh, in 2017, we had, a uh, former Leeds United director David Ha, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, This is a a, a football figure in the United Kingdom, a soccer figure over there. He claimed to know of 20 gay Premier League players. He said he was counseling some of them. And, well, of course, we didn't find out much more about that. In 2019, just last year, someone created a Twitter account of an alleged gay footballer who was going to come out, only to, of course, mysteriously disappear just days before his supposed big announcement. Another hoax. So, and you even remember, I wrote about this last month. A Premier League captain went on the record and said he, there are probably at least one gay or bi players on every team in the league, but yet they don't come out. So, this just all seems very outdated, does it not? I mean... These anonymous, tortured essays from closeted players, they want to come out. Oh, they so desperately do, but they can't. And look, there obviously is still a lot of homophobia and transphobia in the sports world. Um, That's a conversation that we addressed in uh, in a Zoom panel. On out sports this week, and that really is, you know, why we exist in 2020 still. I mean, there's so much rampant homophobia in the sports world, no doubt about it. We don't mean to minimize it, but this kind of gay fear mongering, as Sid calls it in his column, is not helpful and is, yes, outdated for the times. I mean, as we talk about with John Holmes. The Premier League has taken a lot of steps the last few years to improve its relations with the LGBT community to become more inclusive, a better environment uh as the pro sports leagues are doing here in the U.S. So it's just very outdated. It's very tawdry. It's very slimy. It makes my stomach churn a bit, if I'm going to be honest with you. So uh, I was happy to have the conversation with John Holmes and just kind of look at the British tabloid media culture and why it continues to feed off of, uh, again, just this, 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 just this outdated gay fear-mongering. So that's coming up in a moment. But uh, first, a couple of stories. I wanted to quickly hit on from the last week. Uh, Elena Deladon, I'm sure you've been following this, uh, former WNBA MVP, plays for the Washington Mystics. Uh, a lot of controversy around her this week. In the WNBA, a league that we praise quite a bit for its progressive stances and social causes, and, and they do a great job of elevating their players' voices, as the NBA largely does. But. Uh, The WNBA does not look good here at all. Uh, Della Dawn uh, said she has a medical exemption from playing in this shortened bubble season. She battles Lyme disease. She said in a Players' Tribune essay she has to take 64 pills per day. That's right, 64 pills per day to curtail her Lyme disease. Her doctor says, again, medical exemption. She doesn't have to play this season with the heightened risk in Florida, in the epicenter still of the coronavirus right now, the outbreak here in the U.S. Uh, but the WNBA declined. <laughs> they declined Deladon's medical note. Their doctor said no. She cannot, She does not have a medical reason to not play. So she writes this powerful essay in the Players' Tribune, as I mentioned, details her struggles publicly with Lyme disease for the first time, And the Mystics finally say on Thursday that she will be paid regardless of whether she plays or doesn't. But just, you know, we know that these athletes are being put out there as proverbial pieces of meat as these sports leagues try to restart amidst the deadliest pandemic in a century. Uh, We know that. But stuff like this makes it a little too painfully obvious, does it not? I mean, they're not even trying to hide in this case. so uh, And it's a good lesson for us, too. I mean, no matter how woke these sports leagues are and no matter how progressive they may seem in some of their social stances, uh, they're all about money at the end of the day and not about the well-being of their athletes. Uh, I think that's largely the case. Um, And I also wanted to briefly mention here, and I wrote about this for Forbes on my other gigs, uh, the Washington Post had a bombshell story published a late Thursday afternoon about the toxic workplace culture with the Washington NFL franchise. Fifteen former female employees went on the record detailing rampant uh, sexual harassment by team executives. Daniel Snyder was not directly implicated, but man, this is some pretty gross stuff. But what was also gross was the rampant speculation. We had in sports media circles, primarily perpetuated by men, unsurprisingly, about this story just all week long in NFL reporters, Washington reporters, NBC sports anchor in Washington. J.P. Finley tweeted uh, Sunday night, a real busy week, and it's not all going to be about the name and it's not all going to be pretty. Ooh, What does that mean? Sports anchor Scott Abraham in DC tweeted the following Sunday night. There is much more news going on at Redskins Park than a name change. I'm told by a source there, there will be some more news that comes out tomorrow, uh, other than the name change, and it's not good. Get ready, people. Yeah, national guys, Jason La Confora, CBS Sports, the warped and toxic culture of the Washington football team, is about to be exposed in a sickening fashion again. He tweeted this week, Pro Football Talk, Mike Forio reported breathlessly on this, authoring several blogs before the piece was even published. And what this does is it just wound up trivializing the story. It trivialized the serious harassment allegations that were actually levied against executives in the piece, And it made the story about Snyder and not the women. And this piece is now viewed through the lens of how it will impact Snyder rather than the profound anguish and suffering allegedly perpetuated upon these poor female employees. I mean, Darren Rovell really captured it when he tweeted this out. Sorry to disappoint Redskins fans. Even in the cancel culture, that story, while horrific, isn't going to take down Daniel Snyder. Really? So we have a story where, again, rampant sexual harassment by Washington executives is spelled out by 15 former employees in a Washington Post story. And the reaction from Darren Rovell, a very prominent sports media voice, due to the buildup in the speculation, is this is a disappointment? The Me Too era for men is about listening. In listening to women's stories that have long big been ignored. At its core, that is what I think, at least as a man, that this is about. All of the speculation about the Daniel Snyder story completely flies in the face of that. And again, trivialized these harrowing experiences. Will Snyder sell the team? I don't know. But that's not the point right now. The point is the experiences of these women. So, a bad day. For men in sports media, in particular, with the Daniel Snyder story. Not a bad day when we speak with a friend from across the pond. There you go, John Holmes coming up on the other side. It's the Sports Kiki. Thanks as always for listening. And welcome back here to the Sports Kiki podcast on the phone line. Right now, we have our first international guest, I believe, in a show history. It's a big day for us. John Holmes is the is a senior writer and editor for Sky Sports in the uh, United Kingdom, the UK. He's also the lead man and founder of the Sports Media LGBT Plus Group. Uh, We've been following each other online for a few years. John, it's great to speak. How are you? I'm very well. Great to speak to you too, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, thanks for coming on. As I said, I've been following you online for quite a while, so it's good to finally uh, put a voice to the Twitter handle, as they say. Um, So I've been following this story and Sid Ziegler wrote an op-ed uh, for us out sports titled British sports tabloids need to stop faceless gay fear mongering and basically this is about this pattern or trend in British tabloids of publishing anonymous letters from allegedly closeted Premier League players and professional athletes about their experiences why they're afraid to come out. This week, The Sun in the UK published an anonymous letter from a Premier League player in which he said he feels like he can't come out, he feels trapped, etc. Uh, just what is kind of the culture and backstory behind the British tabloids running these kinds of stories in recent years?
1: Yeah, you're right. There have been a, a series of these stories in recent years. They tend to crop up every kind of 12 to 18 months or so. Uh, recently, this latest front page, which went out on Saturday, um, is the latest in a series of articles that the Sun has been running on this topic. I think it started around about the middle of May, uh, and it's kind of a developing theme for them. Uh, they are they are reporting um, a, a series of, of players that that they that they claim are gay or bisexual players in English professional football. Uh, and this is, as I say, it's kind of a developing theme. But yeah, the the backstory has been years of stories which tend to have silhouette pictures of the player or other personalities involved. And um, There's obviously a limited amount of detail, to, so to preserve anonymity, that's the uh, that's the claim. And uh, and and details tend to be kind of teased out generally. Uh, like potentially over a period of time, uh, just to try to, to generate more interest in the topic. And uh, as Sid, again, as Sid pointed out, none of these stories have ever developed into anything. Um, there's been lots of claims that players are imminently about to come out publicly, uh, and that hasn't transpired. Uh, and here we are in 2020.
0: Yeah, and in the article on Outsports, and you allude to this too in your piece as well, uh, in 2015, we were told two gay Premier League players were going to come out together, they did not in 2016 it was three players they didn't come out uh in 27 in 2016 we claimed that there were seven gay premier uh league players were gay that uh did not uh, come to fruition at least not yet so uh and you know as a media critic too and some other gigs I do uh this stuff always fascinates me what is the i kind of i guess i understand why the tabloids run with these stories they're perfect tabloid type stories but uh what kind of market is there for these pieces in the uk do they generate a lot of interest and conversation
1: they do in the sense that they tend to kick off a lot of speculation amongst fans although i think judging by the reaction of this late latest one i think there was a lot of of sense of crying wolf with this yeah. story that a lot of fans felt that familiarity like we've been here several times before and and really i mean yes there is a certain amount of of interest of public interest in 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 such a possibility that a player might come out publicly but I, i'm beginning to think you know as society moves on this type of reporting really is something that seems from seems very old fashioned uh, and and really out of step with how people consume media how they how they associate with sport and and doesn't really reflect the culture that sport enjoys uh as far as this is concerned yes there are still issues around homophobia and biphobia in football that's uh, there's obviously in the same way that there would be in in any kind of male dominated sport in, in particular um i think that's fair to say but but really the the stories are very much focused on a culture of fear um mental health issues um you know this kind of referencing to agony and torment and anguish that a player such as the one um that was alluded to in this story uh, might be suffering from um so that's i think that's a, that's a narrative that that isn't a fair reflection because we have had people working in uk professional football who are male who have come out and shared their stories and uh and whilst they admit to you know periods of struggle like as we know any kind of lgbt person might experience particularly when they're younger and they're struggling for self-acceptance actually there's a there's also an understanding that you know the pressures that are on a, a professional male footballer are, are very intense and there's good reason for them if they were gay or bi to maybe want to keep that part of their lives private
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think you hit it there earlier in your answer. These stories just seem very old-fashioned and out of step with how we think of LGBT people and a lot of our Western cultures, especially here and you guys in the UK. Uh, What is problematic about these sorts of stories in your mind?
1: Well, I think initially the main issue is that they do always set off a huge frenzy of speculation uh, mostly as you can see it played out on social media now um, there's a you know a guessing game um, which will kind of arise particularly if there's de- if there's the details as i mentioned that are kind of being drip fed out about maybe what kind of age the player is maybe what league they play in maybe some more kind of details this was um, a theme that happened last summer here in the UK around a twitter account uh, that was purporting to be from a championship Footballer, so that's the second tier league um, in this country, and, and that um, generated an enormous amount of interest and media coverage off the back of it. Whilst it was in operation for about three weeks during kind of Pride season uh, last summer, and then it it faded away into nothing because um, you know the, the whoever was running the account claims that they didn't have the courage to come out, and and then it disappeared. So uh, you know, understandably, most people felt they'd been been taken in um if they had believed it. So so that so that is a, a common theme this this kind of drip feeding of information and the guessing game it sparks. I think I think the other issue it does is quite often it doesn't really reflect the work that is being done in football and that's something that I've also addressed in the piece that I wrote there is you know substantial amounts of LGBT inclusion work being done across the game in terms of education in terms of you know creating welcoming environments and and, and really just just that visibility and representation at, at various points around football, particularly in the women's game, of course, and that's, that would be a similar story in, in the States. But, you know, we are building an LGBT community of people in football in this country. And this kind of coverage suggests that that isn't possible. Um, and, that's, and that's quite sad, really.
0: Yeah, so so I want to talk about that, too. I mean, because the stereotype of the Premier League is that uh, it's a very homophobic kind of culture. Is, is that even true today? And what is the culture of the Premier League like in, I guess, football or soccer in the UK in general?
1: Well, again, there's, like, different levels of that. So, I mean, you could yeah. look at it from a, from a supporter's point of view. And um, there's been a huge increase uh, in this country of LGBTQ supporters groups. Uh, affiliated to their clubs, and, and the vast majority of cases, you know, actively backed by their by their clubs. So your listeners may have heard of Gay Gooners, a very kind of famous Arsenal fan fan group, which was one of the first to be set up in this country. And, and these groups are not only just there to be uh, places where supporters can come together, they're actually doing a lot of the education work themselves. Uh, again, in conjunction with, with the clubs and, and other organizations, particularly LGBT organizations in in their local areas. So that's a part of it from the supporters' point of view. I think when you're talking about supporters who aren't LGBT themselves, um, surveys, and uh, polls of which many have been done in recent years to ascertain what people's views are in terms of uh, a, a gay footballer potentially coming out and playing for their team, etc. Overwhelmingly show that fans would support that player in that decision. And they would, there would not be a homophobic backlash. Um, of course, there's always uh, kind of a stubborn kind of eight percent kind of uh, yeah. you know area of those polls that, that that is less than infused by the prospects, shall we say? But uh, I think I think the picture, the picture is clearly one where you know such an, an eventuality would would be met with support and uh, and actually you know a, a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, because people want to see this particular barrier broken um, in terms of Premier League players or professional players, because you know it's it's a part of the game which, as I say, hasn't really been able to keep step with society.
0: So, what are some reasons why? Because you know, here in here in the United States, of course, in our major male professional sports leagues, so I'm going to call it the NFL, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, there are no active openly gay players and never have been except for the short period in which Jason Collins was an active NBA player after coming out for about a year or so. Um, But yet, you know, even in our, and we certainly have pretty grimy tabloids or tabloid like websites. There's no doubt, but you don't even see those kinds of stories here. Why in the UK, where, as you mentioned, it's, it's a liberal democracy. There's support for LGBT rights, uh, widespread support. The premier league is taking steps. Why? Is there still this market there for this kind of, like, speculatory, fear-mongering stuff? Because you, you don't even see it here, really, on a, on a mainstream scale.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not sure, really. Um, I think, you know, presumably it keeps happening because it makes money. Uh, that's obviously got to be one part of it. This kind of uh, story, if, if, you know, we don't know exactly because we don't have the numbers how stories such as this being put on the front page of a national tabloid newspaper on a Saturday, when the cover price of that paper rises by 20 pence, um, so you can see uh, often these stories tend to run on the weekends when the cover price of the, of the paper is, is is greater. That in itself is a deliberate act to make to increase sales. And as far as the kind of online traffic is concerned, you know, a digital article such as the one that the Sun ran. Uh, alongside the, the the print version of the paper would surely have trafficked, you know, incredibly well. Um, so there's, there is a, a monetary aspect uh, to be made to these stories. But why that isn't replicated in the States, I'm not sure. I suppose, again, I don't know the media landscape there, certainly not as well as, as yourself, but I, I don't know if there's that same kind of culture of, of gossip and, and rumour which the British tabloids famously you know, have thrived on. For many years, and also what we have to remember now is that print journalism is a dying industry, and and these newspapers are in sales wars, competitive sales wars with with each other, uh, constantly looking to to generate income. And there's been you know serious difficulties that a lot of uh, news, print newspapers in particular are in, and trying to kind of find a, a model that that works and keeps people in jobs, um, you know, in the, the digital age, and not everyone's cracked it yet. Uh, so, so that is, you know, the bottom line here is, is that, you know, a lot of these publications need to make money and, and this is seen as a way to, to drive sales.
0: Shame. Even in 2020, hopefully each story gets, uh, less and less, uh, attention and it kind of dissuades them from going down this path. Um, so your group, John sports media, LGBT plus, uh, tell the people about that. What made you start this? Is it, is it an international LGBT sports media group? And what gave you the motivation to start it
1: yeah so i've been involved in lgbt networks at my company uh, you mentioned that i worked for sky so sky sports Um we are like a, a bigger business we have a, a big lgbt network just like most big companies do and a few others that i've been involved in i felt that that was lacking in the in the sports media industry in this country uh so i i know i knew of other kind of people working in my part of the industry who are lgbt and you know kind of wanted to raise that that visibility and, and for us to have a voice a collective voice which would have more more influence and and we've you know been able to put that together and as as the years have gone on we've we've done events we've worked in partnership with other organizations you know we've we published content ourselves very much inspired by the work that, that sid and jim and dawn and yourself do at Outsports. You know, obviously that's a huge influence for us and yeah we, we want to be a place where people Feel like they can come to and and be part of a, a bigger community. It's, uh, it's it's a very similar idea to Outsports, but I think, you know, we uh, we are here essentially as a, a network group for people in in the industry, but more widely than that, we want to be to help support inclusion projects and and other people who uh, who have you know wanting to reach the LGBT community through sport. It's such a powerful vehicle, um, and you know to have more out voices of athletes, coaches administrators, you know, uh, people involved in sport at all levels. Uh, they, they need a platform too, and not everywhere in the media is willing to give them that platform. We, we through our publications that we all work for and, and, uh, and other avenues, we're able to provide that.
0: Yeah, it's so great, and, and, I, and I love following you all. And, and how would you say the overall LGBT inclus- inclusion atmosphere is in the UK, in, in, in the sports world? Where, where is it today?
1: it's really really strong i think and and that's again why this kind of media coverage is is, is unhelpful because it doesn't often reflect what is being done the, the fan groups that i mentioned earlier in, in football have have had a, a really significant impact there's lots of people working in in different projects you might have heard of the football the homophobia campaign um the rainbow laces campaign um which i work on a great deal with the charity stonewall in this country has Connections throughout Spor and have built a, you know, like a huge kind of coalition of different governing bodies and authorities, kind of sharing that message of inclusion. And uh, yeah, in, t- in terms of the in terms of the media, you know, there's been great support from big uh, organisations and uh, and associations, which has been really really encouraging too. So I I think I think it's really coming together. One big step that we had this year was one of the first kind of pride networks set up in a in a British sport and backed by the governing body, which was in athletics in, in track and field. And, uh, and Sid spoke to Shelley Holroyd, who's one of the core members of that group, for so his podcast uh, a few weeks back. And, and that's been a great model for other sports to look at and understand that you can create uh, a network group which will help to drive your inclusion ambitions, and, and hopefully more, more sports will look at that and try to do the same.
0: No, it's very important to connect, and uh, certainly online, the digital age, John, it makes it easier than ever. As I said, you're the first. We have we're having international podcast guests today, so this is how we how we connect. Uh, John, thanks so much for taking the time and coming on the show. How can the people follow you uh, on Twitter if they want to do that?
1: So, sports media LGBT. Uh, have a search for that. We're on all the social media platforms, uh, and for myself, my Twitter handle is John Boy N B O Y Seven Nine.
0: John Boy 7-9. All right, John. Thanks for coming on. Great to speak with you again. Thanks, Alex. All the best. So there you go. Thanks to John Holmes from Sky Sports for uh, taking the time and joining us on the podcast this week. See, that sounded pretty good, did it not? The call from across the pond sounded pretty good, if I say so myself. Uh, as always, if you have any guest ideas, hit me up on Twitter, at alexreamer one that's my Twitter name that is at IStreamer One. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you again next Saturday next episode.